This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Indeed it is, and uh, I'm really glad to be back. There's been quite a hiatus in my uh, coming to Chai FM. Thank God we celebrated uh, a family simcha in Australia before Yontov. So we were coming and going and trying to deal with a lot of jet lag. Together with the excitement and the enthusiasm of marrying off a child, which, thank God, um, went off very well. But then I fell into Pesach and fell out of Pesach, had to unwind a little bit. And, hey, today is my actually first normal day uh, back in the the life and living um, just a normal day-to-day routine, which I, I was actually thinking as I was coming into the studio is a very nice thing. You know, we always are looking for excitement and looking for things that, you know, get us out of the humdrum. Um, but it's also nice just to have stuff just, you know, scheduled for you and you know what you're going to do when you wake up in the morning and get through the day and, and finish it up. And, um, yeah, I'm back in that seat. And, of course, I'm back at Chai FM here to teach you mystical texts, here to teach you Torah. And uh, a long time ago, it feels so very long ago, it actually feels a lifetime ago, we were studying um, the book of Noach, the Pasha of Noach, the book of Genesis, and uh, we finished up just before the flood was about to start, and we are going to be starting now in Chapter 7, if anybody follows in the actual text, um, on Chapter 7, Verse 5, and we're going to finish up the, 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 the chapter, chapter seven, which is, uh, probably about, about 13, 14 verses. Um, and it's all about the actual physical flood, how the world got flooded. And, um, many, many thoughts were going through my head while I was reading that because it kind of, for me, one of the things that was very profound on my trip, um, to Australia this time in particular, even though I do try to, um, lead this type of thinking all the time wherever I find myself, but it was pretty, uh, it was more apparent to me, um, perhaps now, was that, you know, we, we, we live life, we, we catch planes, we go to work, we, we go through our, our daily lives of living, and many, many times we do not see the hand of God, and what we perceive and what we see um, in terms of the external stimuli that come towards us is that this world is it's it's a it's a havoc it's a mess it's a hurricane it's it's a balagan if you actually like sit and look at the news um we've got our state of israel at this point in time um having lived through a, a, like quite a few days of um the barrage of rockets that have come into you know, into the various cities causing a lot of damage. We have the upheaval and the tension um, in America, particularly with the Jewish people. We just went through the tragedy of Chabad of Poway where we saw anti-Semitism, you know, raise its ugly head. We're looking over here. I, I feel like South Africa's, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> is sitting on spielkers and, um, you know, waiting now for the elections to see where that will lead us. There's a lot of uncertainty here. Wherever we are looking in the world, you will see that there's uncertainty and there's upheaval and there's havoc. And almost interestingly, as I look into the Pasha of Noah and I look into the verses we are going to learn today, um, I kind of like feel like it just really reflects the the disorganization, the upheaval, 
um, kind of like the noise um, of the destruction as it was in, in Noah's times. And we know that when we sit and we learn Torah, we're not learning something that is just a history book, that is something that, you know, we just uh, are learning it for for interest stake stay or for for any type of intellectual stimulation it's a living book and we're taught that we live with the parasha of the time we live with what we 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 learn and really again this this upheaval that we are going to talk about and and just understand about it um on a practical kind of like really reflects what is going on today in fact I'd be brave enough to say on air that I think that that today we are going through many floods. They might not physically be of the same type of flood that we saw in the time of Noah, but certainly there are many, many natural disruptions. There's political disruptions. Um, families are, are, are being put under tremendous amount of pressure. There's financial troubles. And so the trouble and, and the, the upheaval that Noah went through in his time is very indicative at the same time that we're going through it. And the question is, what can we learn from the story of Noah, from, from the various verses that we're going to look you know, into now, and um, what can we take from it, and how can we apply it to our lives? And uh, fundamentally, as we go through the verses, I think the most important idea um, about the story of Noah is that he created an ark. He created a safe haven um, that was waterproof, that was windproof, that was destruction-proof, that uh, was able to float that was able to in, kind of like insulate himself, his family, and all the animals that he he was he was saving, and it insulated them for for close as you will see for close on a year, um, while the waters ravaged and 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 the world was destroyed. And I think the message is very very clear to us today when one looks at everything on the outside and we look at destruction and we look at the negativity um, that is kind of like flooding the world. There's no place that today that you can say it's paradise, even old quiet San Diego, believe the state where there is no crime. You know, peace was disrupted last week. Um, when we look at all of this, I think the main message that needs to come across is that we need to create arcs for ourselves. And what type of arc, not necessarily do we have to go get a whole lot of timber and build this refuge like Noach, but certainly from an emotional uh, place, from a psychological place, from a, a mental place, a spiritual place, we need to create arcs in our lives. And those arcs are spaces and places where we are able to hibernate, we're able to go into um, and, and spend some real time in connection with ourselves, with our families, with our spouses, our children, with God, and to know that if we um, have that connection with God, we have that 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 um, connection with with other people, then we're in a cocoon, and it doesn't matter about the ravages and and the destruction that is happening outside. That we indeed will be protected. And uh, I always feel that when when I'm traveling, it's 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 very disconcerting for me to leave you know my place of comfort. I feel very very vulnerable. And um, I think on this trip in particular, when I went, I, I remained focused that I was there on a mission. I was there to you know um, enjoy the family simcha, and that God was taking rest 
the taking care of absolutely everything. And many, many times that actually became very clear to me as I was, was coming, you know, and coming and going and doing what I had to do. So that fundamentally is a message of of Nach and the Ark. We're going to go for a little bit of a break and when we come back we're going to go look into the actual verses and see what that in fact teaches us. This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Welcome back and um as always, I like to have a dialogue, not into this monologue so much. So would love you to, you know, give your comments, your thoughts, any questions that you want to ask. Our WhatsApp number is 061-895-1019. Our SMS number is 34519. Don't be shy. Don't tell me when you meet me in, in the shopping center. Talk to me now. Let's have a conversation. Let's make this um, something that we can have a discussion all together with. So we've thrown out the idea that um, the whole lesson behind Noach and the Ark is that for a Jew we need to create an Ark. We need to create space that's impermeable to the negativity that we find ourselves in and allow ourselves to float, to 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 see ourselves through um, that which is happening on the outside. And many, many times um, I've had discussions um, and there's much dialogue and debate, particularly now in South Africa with the impending elections. But overall, it's not necessarily, you know, election driven, but um, it can be applied in a much greater way to people in terms of, you know, what do we do and how do we con- control and and, you know, where should our hate space be? Certainly to feel completely vulnerable and out of control and allow the negativity to come in is is not a good thing. Um, to create that space where we can go at the end of the day, in the middle of the day, even now at lunch hour, and listen to something inspiring, get ourselves inspired, go do an act of, of goodness and kindness, do something um, in your space that, that, that fills it with positivity certainly helps one um, ride all the, the the stuff that is out there. Having said that, let's look into the verses. Let's read them. I'm going to uh, read them in Hebrew, translate into English, and then we're going to go back and uh, understand some of, some more of the detail of this flood that came upon Noah. Goes as follows: Vayas Noach kechol Hashem zivahu Hashem. God Noach did all that God had commanded. Vnoach ben shesh meot shana. Noach was six hundred years old. Vehamabul haya maim ala aretz. That's when the flood occurred. Water was found on the earth. Vayavo Noach ubanav veishto unshei banav ito elateva mipnei mehamabul. Noach with his sons. His wife and his son's wives came into the ark before the waters of the flood. Now, just to remind the listeners out there, we learned a very, very interesting thing in the sequence of the words of this verse. Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wife came into the ark. That doesn't really read as smoothly as it could. It should have read Noah and his wife. And his sons and his son's wife went into the ark. That is the correct sequential way to uh, describe this event. And, of course, we know that in Torah there is no mistakes. There is no wrong. 
um, in the way it is said. And if it is said in a way that we would raise an eyebrow, we ask why. And we are taught it is, it is said in this way because one of the commandments that were given to Noah is that when they entered into the ark, because there was tremendous destruction outside that the world was going into a state, so to speak, of mourning for all the death and destruction brought, one could not have personal uh, enjoyment, and so physical intimacy was not allowed in the ark. And this is learned specifically through these words. Noah and his sons came in, and Noah's wife and Noah's son's wives came in. And this was teaching us that physical intimacy was forbidden during this tumultuous time that they were in the ark. There's another two, three words that the rabbis pick on because they really don't make sense. And that is the words, that he came into the ark before the waters of the flood. That kind of like tends to be a little bit redundant because if not for the flood, would they, would they have gone into the ark? You know, so here the rabbis actually learned that Noah did two, two wrongs. Uh, many of the rabbis hold that first Noah was very small in faith, meaning that he actually did not enter the ark until the water had reached his knees. Why? So our rabbis teach that he didn't trust his spirit of prophecy, okay, enough to abandon all his possessions and go into the ark. He he kind of like made it. He prepared for the worst. But it wasn't until it was actually raining so hard um, that it would soon be too late to get in that he actually went into the ark. Ark. That's why the Torah says he entered the ark, just before, just by the waters of the flood, meaning that the waters of the flood actually drove him into the ark. Now, if anybody's a little bit of a biblical scholar, we'll know that it says, that Noah was a righteous man in his generation. Um, how can we now come and say that he didn't have faith in God's words? Because if he did, then what's the problem? But it seemingly looks like he, he, he didn't trust the situation. And he was like standing there and when he was like, oh boy, if I don't get in now, I'm going to be... Uh, Swimming down the river like everybody else was, that was the only time he went into the ark. So the rabbis go and explain that Noah's lack of faith didn't stem from that, that he had a lack of belief in God's word. He simply thought, look, God is loving. He's merciful. He would never bring a catastrophe that would kill the young and the old alike. And he thought it was kind of like a threat, you know, that God said, you know, do as I say, it's not as, as I'm going to do, etc., etc. Also, he, he, he gave benefit to the people around him, to all his contemporaries, because he thought they would recant at the last moment. He had for 120 years been building this ark, okay, and it basically, um, his rebuke was falling on deaf ears. And he thought, you know what? At the end, when push comes to shove, people will wake up and they will turn around. Um, so that really was the dilemma of him sitting there with the water to his knees. The Torah does still nevertheless count it as a fault because Noah could have obeyed God's commandment in any case. Because seven days earlier, God had already told him, 
get into the ark. Okay. Um, and he didn't. He waited until, un, until there were, were, were flood waters. So, you know, there is the negative side and there is the positive side. You can just imagine the difficulty that Noah had at that point in time where he knew, okay, well, now this is happening. People haven't done tshuva. They haven't repented. Um, and there is not much that, that I can do. In fact, we're told that extremely heavy rains fell during the previous seven days. And he, you know, he, it still didn't wake up the people. So that was his first kind of like his first mistake that, that, that he made. His second mistake um, was a little bit more serious. And again, there's an entire deliberation in the Torah because it seems that he quietly acquiesced to the flood. What we may should have or should have expected is that Noah should have stormed the very gates of heaven. He should have fasted, he should have prayed, he should have seeked mercy. Um, it seemed that Noah was only concerned with himself, with his family, and that wasn't really a proper attitude. Now, how do we, how do we like slam Noah for that? Because we have other precedents. Let's look at Moses. You'll remember that after the sin of the golden calf, Moshe, Moses prayed for his people and he said to God, listen here, if you forgive them, wonderful. If not, obliterate me from the book that you have written. You can check that out in, in the book of Exodus. Okay. Noah never did that. Noah could have gone and said, listen, God, you're bringing a flood, then, then, then drown me along with the rest of my family. Why, why aren't you, why aren't you, uh, you know, looking after the people? Um, other people went and said that he should have acted like Abraham. We know that when it came to the destruction of Stom, um, and Amora, those two vile, corrupt cities, Abraham sat there and he prayed, if you find 80 people and 70 people and 60 people, and he was trying to find righteous people. When he didn't find 10 righteous people, he realized that it was a lost cause. So those are the two things that, that are held against him. But in mitigation of the behavior of Noah, okay, um, number one, why didn't you argue like, like Abraham? Well, the mitigating factor is Noah could have gone and said, you know what, Abraham, when he couldn't find 10 righteous people for Stom, he stopped. Okay, he was only eight of them. If you count both the men and the women in Noah's family, there were only eight. And so without 10 righteous people, he felt that the evil decree could not be revoked. Why didn't he act like Moses who said, listen, you know, if you forgive them, great. If not, take me out of your book. Because he had been at it actually for 120 years. He was trying to convince the people. And it was without success. And so um, the rabbis hold that there were two faults um, the, and, and Noah was punished for them, which we will get into now. I want to mention, though, before, very interestingly, is that not only was at, at the point now where the waters were like, you know, almost at his knees and he had to enter in, a large number of people did come to Noah and they begged him to allow them on the ark. And Noah said, you know, all this time you guys have rebelled against God. 
I've been spending 120 years warning you. You've refused to listen. You've refused to change um, your ways. What do you want from me now? And I said the people begged and they pleaded. They they were screaming their lungs out. Um, they tried to break the ark. They tried to overturn it. Um, and a miracle happened, we are told in the Midrash, that countless lions arrived and they surrounded the ark and they didn't allow the people to 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 come in, but it really was quite a, a debacle. They're quite quite a riot um, provoking place. It said that the animals too. Um, very interestingly, we are going to read now um, in the chapters that the animals came in, but very interestingly, there was there was a selection there. There was an automatic selection driven by God that only the animals that had remained pure in their behavior um, were allowed into the ark, meaning that they didn't cross mate because one of the and probably the main reason that um, there was this flood, flood was that because the, it was because the world was steeped in immorality. There was no more that sanctity between a man and a woman that sanctification had been taken, thrown away, and people were behaving in very vile um, activities um, as well as animals. So um, that really... Uh, was what was 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 happening there just also one other thing as the waters were coming up to noah's um knees we know that the animals started coming on to to a, 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 a being two beings weren't couldn't fit into the ark the first was an animal called a re'im which really doesn't have an English translation. It was a huge, humongous animal. We're told that later on in the Talmudic times, there was a rabbi called Rabbi Chia Bar Abba. Um, the Rams, by the way, the Rams survived because it managed to get onto the ark. We're going to discuss that now, but it said that a baby Ram ran loose in the Holy Land and it tore up thousands of trees. And uh, Rabbi Chia ben Abba um, declared a fast. The whole, all the people at that point in time gave prayers to before Hashem, asking them to remove this calamity. And finally, this baby Rayim found his mother and he left. That just gives the the an idea of the size of this beast. It said that Noah had to grasp the two horns of the Rayim and lead it into the ark, and so huge was this beast that only its head fit into the ark, while the rest of its body remained outside. So you've got like this one animal like hanging um, on the balcony. The second um, being that could not fit into the ark was a giant by the name of Og. Okay, He, we are told, climbed onto the roof of the ark and made himself an umbrella so that the rains of the flood would not fall on his head. And Noah would pass food through the window of the ark, and that was sufficient for him. Some say, some some opinions say that he was too huge even to sit on the ark, but that in fact, very interestingly, because he was a huge giant, he walked alongside the ark where the waters were cool, um, 
God wanted him, this giant, to remain alive so that they would know of God's greatness. And um, very soon I will tell you a discussion um, that was had with Shabe, who is Noah's son, and uh, what he said about that day. What day of the week did the flood start? Well, Noah entered the ark on a Wednesday, the fourth day of the week. And this was also purposeful because it was on that day that God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And um, the Torah later says, in we're going to get into the chap into the verses now in verse thirteen, that in that very day Noah came into the ark. Very day means that the day when the astronomical bodies of the world were created. And um, why? Because it's on this day the influence of these bodies is the strongest, and it was a disruption of this. Astrological um, Togetherness of the sun, the moon And the stars of the way they work That actually causes upheaval of water Let's look into the verses 8 to 11 now And just see a little bit more Of what was happening As this impending um, flood begins Mina behema hatahora from the clean animals. Umina behema asher enena tahora and from the animals that were not clean. Uminha often from the birds. Vchol asher roimes al haadama and from all that creep on the ground. Shnaim shnaim bawel anach. They came two by two to Noach. Elateva to the ark. Zacharu dekeva male and female. Kashetziva elokim et Noach. Just the way God. Um, God commanded Noach, Vayihi leshivat hayamim, seven days passed, Umei hamabul hayu al ha'aretz, the waters of the flood were on the earth. Bishnat sheshme ochana lechaye Noach, it was in the 600th year of Noach's life. Bechodesh hasheni, it was in the second month. Bishiva asar yom lechodesh, it was the Second month, the 17th day of the month. So the 17th day of the month of Cheshvan. The second month is the second month from the month of Tishrei, which is Rosh Hashanah. Okay. Bayom nik nifkau komayonot tohom rabah ve'arubot hashamayim niftahu. So it was on that 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the great wellsprings of the deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heaven were open. So we're now talking, if you want to know in English terms, October 27th in the year 2106 BCE, before the common era. It says that... What happened was the rain started gently. It was like a normal shower. Then the, 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 the rain began. The people didn't repent. And then it began to fall with destructive force. And then what happened um, was that the wellsprings of the deep and the floodgates of the heaven opened. And then the rain continued then for 40 days and 40 nights without a break. That's in verse 12 to 15, which I'm going to share with you very quickly. Um, the, the rain was on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, and on that day, as we spoke about earlier, Noah, Veshem, 
Vishem, Vicham, Vyafet, Noach and his three sons, Shemcham and Yafet, and the wives of Noach, and the three, do- uh, three daughter-in-laws of Noach, Itam el came into the Teva, and with them was every wild beast, every domestic animal, every creeping thing, every flying thing, every bird, every winged creature. They all came to Noach, two by two, um, male and female, um, and all of flesh they came, God commanded them, and God sealed them in. That concludes verse 15. This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Welcome back. Um, so we are being flooded. Um, and so, as we mentioned, the rains began on the 17th of Cheshvan. Um, it rained for uh, 40 days and 40 nights. Interesting now over here is the question of why the flood. If we understand and we believe that God is omnipotent, that he can do whatever he wants and he can destroy, why did God choose to destroy this world with water? He could have brought a fire, earthquake, he could have brought a disease, he could have done many, many things. In fact, if you want to look at it from a mystical point of view, all God had to do was to remove his energy from this world, and this world would have reverted into nothingness. Why this whole big thing about water? I'd love to know what you would surmise or think about in terms of the water. Why do you think God destroyed the world with water? 061-895-1019 is our WhatsApp number. 34519 is the SMS number. I'm going to hold that question. Let's see if anybody can find a reason as to why with water and not with anything else that could have been just as as destructive and for sure could have wiped out the whole world. While you're thinking about that, let's look at verses 17 and 18. There was a flood on the earth for 40 days. The waters increased. It lifted the ark and it rose up from the earth. And the waters surged. And it increased on the earth a lot. And the ark drifted on the surface of the water. So again, in your minds, I understand the, the ark was very large. It was very heavy when the flood began. But while it was still raining, it remained sitting on the ground. Can you imagine the tonnage of this, this huge, huge edifice? Um, and it wasn't until the water was 11 cubits deep, that's around about 20 feet, that the ark eventually rose up from the ground. It was like, like this heavy, this heavy laden ship. Okay. And then it began to float. Um, and it, um, that's how it remained for a long time. Verses 17, I mean, 19 and 20 of chapter 7 read as follows. The water's continuing surging a lot on earth. To the point that even the highest mountains, mountains under all of heavens were covered. 
חמש עשרה אמה מלמעלה גברו המים ויחסו ההרים. There were fifteen cupids upward surging the waters and the mountains were covered. So during the initial 40 days of the flood, the ark didn't really leave its place. It was only after the waters began to swell even higher that the ark actually drifted. Very interestingly that it mentions that even the highest mountains uh, were covered. There's a very interesting midrash that tells us that Rabbi uh, Yonatan was once on the way to Yerushalayim and he met what was called a, a person who was a Samaritan. Now It was well known that the Samaritans had a temple on top of a mountain called Mount Grizim. They had a statue there of a dove that they worshipped like an idol. And this Samaritan sees Rabbi Yonatan and he says, Why are you going to Jerusalem to pray in the ruins of your temple? Why not come to Mount Grizim, which has not even been touched by this great flood? Rabbi Yonatan was at a loss for an answer, and he had a, a little gabai, a little shamus that was walking with him, an attendant, and the attendant said, I can answer, can I have permission, Rebbe? And Rabbi Yonatan gave him the permission, and he replied to the Samaritan, look, is Mount Grizim, um, is Mount Grizim counted for, uh, amongst the high mountains? If it is, um, go look back in Genesis. It says, and all the high mountains were covered. So if it's considered a low mountain, then it for sure was covered by the flood waters. The Torah doesn't have to mention it. Um, that is why we're, we, we, we discount Mount Grizim because it in its, itself um, was completely covered in the flood. Uh, Rabbi Yonatan was so impressed that said he got off his donkey and told his attendant to write it. And after leading the donkey for about three miles, he turned around, he looked up to heaven and he said, how fortunate are the people of Israel because even the most common person has great intelligence and can give a good answer. Anyway, let's look into verse 21 and 22. All the flesh that stirred on the earth perished, the birds, the domestic animals, the wild beasts, everything that creeped on the earth and every human being. Anything that had the breath of spirit that could breathe and breath in its nostrils, everything on the dry land died. What didn't die? We know previously only the fish. The fish survived. Um, we are going to see now that, in fact, what happened when the waters began to surge, the waters actually became unbelievably hot. They were boiling waters, and it, 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 it scoured uh, the earth. God made a miracle that the waters around the ark remained cool. That's why we could say that Og walked next to the The ark, um, others, other, other rabbis come and tell us that in fact the fish nearly became gefilte fish. They nearly cooked themselves and they had to go, um, into the much, much deeper, into the depths of the, 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 the ocean in order to get refuge from the boiling water that was happening. Finally, verses um, 23 
and 24 read as follows. Vayimach et kol hayikum asher adama. The flood obliterated every organism that was on the face of the ground. Me'adam ad behemoth, humanity and animals, ad remes, ve'ad of creepy things, birds of the heaven, ve'yimachu mina aretz, they were obliterated from the earth, ve'yishayer ach noach, ve'asher itobateva, the only things that remained was noach, and those of him that in, that, that were in the ark. Those were the, the, the um, the beings that survived. And the waters continued surging on the heavens for a hundred and fifty days. So here we are in the middle of the, of, of the trials and the tribulations, the abs- absolute destruction and devastation that the world was going through. And I ask the question, why did God destroy the world with water? You can Try perhaps answer it on 0618951019 or SMS on 34519. This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Oh well, okay, so we're back. We've got a couple of minutes left in our time. Why did God destroy the world with water? Well, this is an, an, uh, a discussion in and of itself, but um, kind of on one leg as a summation of understanding the whole flood. Water has an incredible property, and that is that water has the ability to cleanse. It has the ability to cleanse on a physical level. We know that when we want to shower at night, we don't uh, clean ourselves in any other way but with water. Water is um, is life. It it actually cleanses. It clears. It purifies. We speak a lot about the fact that the majority of our bodies are made of water, that water is vital to the existence of the physical body. But in Torah, everything that we have on a physical plane also manifests itself on a spiritual plane. And so when we look at water, we will use the physical water in this world for spiritual cleanliness as well. And really, in essence, one of the reasons, there are many, but Perhaps one of the fundamental reasons that God destroyed the world through water is that it wasn't just an act of vengeance, of, of anger, of destruction, of, of, uh, of, of just absolute obliteration. But what God was doing was that he was putting this world through a process of, 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 of cleansing, through a process of purity and, um, Today, we very much mimic that, not in a destructive manner, but through the mitzvah of mikvah. We know that we, we, um, we have the mitzvah in the Torah. Uh, it's primarily given to the Jewish woman, the mitzvah of taharata mishpacha, of the laws of family purity, where what we have is a, 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 a body of water, interestingly, Collected only from rainwater, one cannot use a swimming pool, one cannot use one's bath, one cannot use something that one has just arbitrarily built. It has specific specifications, and the ra- the water that is found in the mikveh is water that is gathered from rain, from an absolutely natural source. 
And when a woman has her menstrual period, uh, she waits from the beginning of her menstrual period for at least a minimum of 12 days, after which she goes through a, 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 a cleaning process, which, by the way, just to debunk all of those that say, I don't use mikvah because that, that they used to use to bath, a woman has to be completely clean physically with no barriers found in any way whatsoever in any part of her body, after which she immerses in a mikvah. And marital relations during the menstrual period are forbidden. Once the woman has gone through the mikvah, then um, she is allowed back to be intimate with her husband. M- much has been said. Many, many ideas have been brought forth. But we mimic the same um, idea that 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 God did in in the time of the flood, um, in our personal lives on a monthly basis, because water has that capability, that quality to cleanse. And when we cleanse, we're not only cleansing physically; we're cleansing actually, really, on a much much deeper level, on a spiritual level. Why a woman goes through. That cycle is because when it comes towards the 12th to 14th day of a cycle, that is when she is most fertile, the, the time when she'll have the ability to um, give, give life um, in, in, in her body. And it's a time where you want to create the, 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 the most clean environment. And when I'm using the word clean, I'm not talking on a physical. I'm actually talking um, more spiritual uh, level and so we use the same as it rained 40 days and 40 nights we have the mikvah that is made up of 40 cubits of water and we use the the, the, the same method of going through being completely immersed in that body of water when we come out we are of a totally different nature that's what happened in the time of Noah the water Mikvid the world of all the impurity, of all the immorality, all the negativity that the world had created. And when Noah does come out and sets his foot um, back on planet Earth, on on firmer, um, on 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 actual ground, he he knows that he's he, there's a world reborn. There is a new world that needs to be dealt with in a new way. And with that, I leave you with that idea. Um, of the analogy between the mikvah and the flood of Noah, and also to remind and leave you with the idea that in each and every one of our lives, we need to create a space, an ark, um, that will allow us to ride the turbulent waters of life. That I wish you a wonderful week. Uh, please go to a good week in South Africa. We should have good news, and I will be back here, same time, same place, next week.